Pro Prep Academy, in partnership with the Heroes in Our Midst podcast, bring to you more than an athlete. Embrace your humanity to unlock performance. This podcast aims to help athletes reach their potential in sport and life through learning from each other and sharing stories. In episode one, Michelle Swadsky-Koo, host of the Heroes in Our Midst podcast and 1996 Olympian, sits down with fellow Olympian Desiree Scott. Scott's motto in life is, if you love what you're doing and you're willing to work, the sky is the limit. Known as the destroyer to many on the pitch, the midfielder's work ethic has helped propel her to stardom over the years. A Manitoba-grown athlete, she chose to stay home for university, helping the newly formed U of M soccer team to its best ever record in 2007, while being named a conference all-star four different times. In 2010, Scott debuted for Team Canada's senior national team. Just two years later, she helped the squad to win a bronze medal at the Olympics, repeating the feat four years later. Throughout the process, Scott stayed level, focusing on visualization and doing the little things right to succeed. Scott continues to show up for the middle province to this day. She's helping develop the next generation of student athletes as the director of soccer operations for Pro Prep Academy, a role she has immense pride in. Well, what a treat to partner with Pro Prep uh, and uh, to be able to sit down with Desiree Scott, albeit by Zoom. But thank goodness we have Zoom, actually. Uh, thanks to COVID, we've gotten so good at this because Desiree is not with us in Manitoba at the moment that we're chatting. Uh, Desiree's out in Kansas, I understand. And uh, so we're going to get to all sorts of things in our conversation. But Desiree, maybe first of all, thank you for joining us. And, and even just thanks for being a part of Pro Prep. I think it's huge for us as Manitobans and our young athletes, our coaches, our parents and all of that. So thanks for being a part of uh, what we're doing. Yeah, no, happy to be here and have an awesome conversation. Obviously, super excited to be working with Pro Prep, providing our athletes with just the quality coaching that they deserve and a program that they should really want to be a part of to help develop them as people and as athletes. So very excited to be partnered with them and, and looking forward to our chat. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things is um, I think more and more we're talking about uh, the human behind the performance. It's a big push now. And I think it's so important. It may be long overdue that we're really focusing on it. Um, not that some haven't focused on it before. But um, so, uh, Desiree, we know you've been to two Olympics. We've watched you. We have cheered you on. And man, even taking some hardware home from the Olympics, you know. And, and I think that maybe sets this up really well. I think even myself, I've been to the Olympics, didn't come home with a medal. So even for me, having been and talking to someone who's actually, you know, got a couple of Olympic medals in, in your possession, it puts you in a place where people want to listen to what you have to say. Maybe we'll start with how does that feel, Desiree, that so many of us are so eager to hear what you have to say? Yeah, I mean, it's truly an honor to represent your, your country, especially at one of those pinnacle events like the Olympics. To do it multiple times is just incredible. I still pinch myself considering I've been there and to bring home hardware, like you said, to be on that podium is like nothing else in the world. Um, and I've always been so proud to sort of be that role model and share my story. And like, I'm an open book for people. So the fact they want to listen and hear what I have to say is incredible. Um, and I hope I just give them some sort of knowledge or inspiration or push in the right direction in a positive way. 
Awesome. Well, we know that getting to where you got to isn't just happen overnight. And there's a big journey that's involved, especially doing it more than once. So, uh, and so many different dynamics, I think, in your journey uh, from the, even the first trip to the Olympics, to the next one, to World Cups, to, you know, Pan Am Games and all of that. So, uh, and, and you're from, you're from Manitoba, like through and through. So Desiree, where, when did you start playing soccer? Were you one of those cute little Timbit soccer players or how did it start for you? I think some would say I was a bit of a late bloomer. I totally should have been part of Timbits because I love to eat those. So, um, but no, I started playing when I was eight years old, um, really started just because of my older brother. He was always playing. He never really like wanted to hang out with me unless it was like outside in the backyard, kicking a soccer ball around. So it was something that sort of bonded us as brother and sister. He would show me different tricks and I would go to his games and I just honestly wanted to be like my big brother and always hang with him. And that's kind of where I fell in love with the sport and, and got involved. That's so cool. So, so I think those in Manitoba listening will know the names of clubs, of soccer clubs and stuff and have been familiar with those. Uh, lead us through that journey. Where did you play? And maybe in that journey, like, were you good right from the start at eight years old? Like, could you tell, could people tell where, were you hearing some coaches saying, my Desiree, I think you have a gift or how did that go for you? Yeah. So I started playing, I'm from the North end of Winnipeg. So I'm like through and through repping my city fully. Um, anyone that knows me knows I wear it on my chest very proudly. Um, so I started as a Maples Cougar, played with West Kildonan Cougars, both Cougar names, pretty funny. Um, and I started off just super competitive. I had like my little Afro and I just loved to like get stuck in, hated to lose. Like I would cry after games and my mom would say, it's just a game. But like, even from early on, I was so competitive right from the offset. Um, and I started playing more competitively when I was 12 years old for FC Northwest. Um, that was a club I played to all through my, you know, teen years developing there at that club, still a club very near and dear to my heart. And then I went and played further on into my senior leagues with South End United and FC Northwest as well. So it really, I came through the Manitoba system and just competitive right from the offset and just, and loved the game. Wow. Now, did you play other sports while you were sort of loving on soccer? Like, or, or did it really take your attention pretty early? It took my attention very early. It was just the sport that I happened to be good at and that I loved. Um, and I did in high school play like all the sports, badminton. I did track. I played basketball. I loved, I just loved being a part of a team atmosphere and environment. So the more I could do that, it was kind of my, my social side of things, but also being active and, and getting involved in team sport. Yeah. Uh, so what were the qualities do you think that you had that sort of uh, helped you I guess, start rising above, you know, start and, and even making those clubs. Cause even if you've been in this soccer system, you know, even making some of those clubs in the city, isn't easy to do. Totally. Yeah. I think first and foremost, I, I, like you said, I had coaches and family that supported me the entire way, which I think having people having your back is huge in that journey. And they always saw something special in me. I mean, I had the natural talent, but Sometimes you don't believe that in yourself. So having those people reminding you of who you are and who the possibilities of who you can become are um, re really was helpful throughout my career. Um, again, that sort of competitive edge. I, I wanted to win and I always wanted to be better and get better. So always wanting to improve my game and take those shots and work on things after practice was something that started from an early age. Um, yeah, I, I just think the hard work and, and love of what I was doing. I think those two things are just so important. If you love what you're doing and you're willing to work, the sky's the limit. 
talk a little bit about how hard it is to work hard at soccer. And there, I mean, I think every sport has its challenges and all that, but there's so much running in soccer. You have to be so fit. I can just, I imagine, I mean, I played volleyball, so I sprinted like 10 meters at a time, you know, um, you know, not to say we didn't have to be fit, but soccer to me seems like another level. Do you remember, do you remember feeling like, I don't know, feeling like throwing up or, or practices that you just hated? Was it, you know, like, was it, it what couldn't always have just been fun? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. My entire career to this day, fitness has been the thing I've had to work on my entire career. I often wondered why I chose soccer because it's an endurance 90 minute plus sport and you're running constantly. So I'm like, why am I doing this? But when a ball's involved, it kind of changes a little bit of things. But I do remember just like, the suicide runs you had to make, box-to-box -box runs, the interval sprints, all of those little sessions. And the fact I was one of the like lone Manitobans, having to do that on my own sometimes is like one of the most challenging things I've had to do. Because one, I, I don't like to run and do that extra fitness, but it's necessary. And when you don't have sort of your teammates supporting you to do it along the way, it, it gets tough. So it's something I'm still working through and still I'm like, oh, I got to go running today. So, you know, that's so good to hear because I think sometimes we see someone like you who's good at it. And obviously you are fit. So you've, you know, you've, you've reached a certain level of that. We think, oh yeah, well, it's for Desiree Scott, it's easy. It hurts for me, but I think that's great for young athletes to hear. You still have to motivate yourself, right? Like, I mean, you know, uh, and I think nowadays, some of our young athletes, they kind of want to be you without having to put in the time to be you. Right. And, and that's cool. So would you, do you have like a sort of a method to get yourself sort of out of bed on a day where, you know, you're going to have to do some really tough training? Yeah. For me, I kind of, I look at who the, my team really, it's about not letting my teammates down. I kind of flip that script and I know that my teammates are putting in that work and that effort. And if I'm not getting out of bed and working just as hard, I'm going to let my team down. So I am a big of a team first mentality kind of person. That's just who I've been. And I don't want to let my teammates down. So if I go out and I'm the best me possible, I'm going to make the team better. So that's sort of me. Like it's a bit of a scare tactic, but it's like, how can I make my team better? I know they're doing the work, so I've got to get out there and do the same. And that's sort of my mental switch to get, get the hard stuff done. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Cause that's more, I mean, those are your, those are your sisters, man. Like they are with you and they're doing it. I, I totally love that. So Desiree, you, you make it through, you, you do your high school thing, you know, you, you stay fit, you're working hard, but the jump from high school to post-secondary sport is bigger than people think. And the percentage of people that make that jump is pretty small, actually, overall. Um, how did you make that jump? Like, how were you recruited? How did you get seen? And, you know, and, and when did that happen? And what was it like? Totally. Yeah. So Manitoba grown, as I said, grew up through the soccer system, right from eight years old, all the way through to, um, yeah, university level. And I was recruited through like we have club nationals where you go and represent your province against all the other provinces in the country and a lot of national team coaches come there to scout and see players so I was lucky to be able to be on that team to get some eyes on me um, obviously I played with the youth national team when I was 14 so again getting those sort of coaches in your you're on their radar sort of so to speak um, and then for me I was getting scouted from universities in the U.S. obviously for soccer players they think that's the path you need to go to the NCAA and I was one of the few on our national team who took a different path and stayed locally in Canada and I think that's sort of the homegrown Manitoba girl that didn't want to leave home I'm a bit of a homebody so I was like what, what are my other options and it just happened to be kismet and things evolved that the University of Manitoba started a soccer program the year I was graduating from high school. 
So it was like an absolute no brainer for me. I got a knock from Walt McKee, the coach who founded the program. I remember him sitting at my kitchen table, you know, we're starting a program. We know you love Manitoba. You want your family and friends in the stands. They can be there every weekend. And it was just like, boom, that sounds perfect for me. I can get an education. I can play the sport I love all in my backyard. So it was just, it all came together at the right time for me. You know what I love about that? I kind of hear that you weren't so worried that an opportunity was passing you by. You were going to set your opportunities and things like family that could come and watch you play stuff that really mattered. Right. And you talked about, I could get an education. I can do this. I think that's really cool. Like maybe just knowing that that was in place allowed you to be sort of the best you could be. So uh, was it tough though, being part of um, a program that was just starting like, you know, were you sort of underdogs going into university soccer as a very new program? Totally. That totally comes with its challenges. I find in general, like Manitoba and Winnipeg get a bad rep. And I found through my entire career, I've kind of had to like wear it on my chest and like have Manitoba's back because people are like, oh, it's mosquitoes and polar bears and like no good soccer players come from there. And I was told that early on. So I felt I've always had to, that's fueled my fire a bit to be like, let me put Winnipeg and Manitoba on the map. Like, let's prove this wrong. Um, so from the offset of my career, like I felt I've always had that bit of edge to be like, Mm-mm, Winnipeg is it. Um, so then having this program start, it was an underdog program, but for me, it was like perfect because I wanted to prove again, putting a Manitoba university program on the map, showing what we can do and that really good players can come from here. So I love the idea of starting something new and just sort of being able to put our mark and our stamp on that CIS league. I love that little extra drive. And, uh, so did you, did you play five years, maybe walk us through your university and, and how national team kind of sprinkled in there. I mean, you already, you, you said at 14, you were on the youth national team. So definitely international was, was playing a role here already. What did that look like for you? Totally. Yeah. I did play my five years as a university Manitoba bison loved it. Some of the best years of my life. I look back now and I'm like, how did I manage school and play sport like that? It's nutty. Like, I don't, I don't know how I did it, but some of the best times of my life. Um, I went from the youth program. I played on the under 20 Canadian national team. Um, and then obviously you can make that jump to that senior level. And again, being the homebody that I was, we had like a one week window between a tournament with our under 20 team. And I got invited into a senior camp, but I wanted to go home for that week. And so I said no to the senior camp at that time. And they said, you will never play for Canada again. Like you don't say no to these invitations. And I was kind of like, well, after that, I thought my door was closed. So then I was like, I'll focus on my collegiate career and really bang it out at the University of Manitoba and work hard there. Um, So I was really focused on just being a bison after my under 20 debut. Um, And then again, club nationals. So we were in Saskatchewan of all places (laughs) and I was injured that day and we get a loudspeaker sort of message and they're like, everybody, national team coaches in the stands, Carolina Marache, like she's at your game sort of thing. And me and my coach lock eyes and he's like, you've got to play. Like, what is the national team coach doing in Saskatchewan? Like it was, (laughs) it was just mind boggling. And so I like wrapped up my leg and I went out and played a half. Um, did pretty well, all things considered. And I went and chatted with the coach after that. And that was when I kind of got my foot back in the door at a club national event playing for Manitoba. So it was kind of a weird culmination of things. And then, yeah, 2010 was my, my start of my debut with, with the senior team. 
like really incredible. And I think that is a little bit how, how life sort of seems to go paths go a certain way. The fact that she was there watching and, and that, you know, injury even was, was sort of plaguing you at the time and you decided to play and maybe that even, you know, encouraged her to sort of see a little bit, something more in you. Right. And, uh, was there a little bit of a feeling for you? Like, okay, those of you who said I would never be back here, I am. I mean, that must've lit a little fire in you too. I find I need to find those little fires to keep me going. Obviously you have a long career and you've got to find ways to stay motivated. So little things like that definitely help me to keep going and want to be better and, and to prove people wrong essentially, and just keep showing that I can, I can stay involved at this level. And so, yeah, when she was there, I was just like, okay, let me show out and sort of get her, get back on that radar there. Yeah. Yeah. And just doing the best you can every time you go out. Seems like that worked for you. So 2010, you got back sort of into the national team program. Your foot was in, in the door there. And then 2012 is the Olympics. So, oh, and 2011 in between there, I mean, Pan Am and all that stuff. So uh, give us a little ride through, through that time in your life, sort of those two years. So what did that look like? Yeah. So I, again, was in training camp with the senior team. It's a whole different world over there. You're with the top players in the world, the Diana Matheson, the Christine Sinclair's, the big name hitters that you just like, remember watching on TV and you're like, now I'm here. And I was coming from a place where, you know, I was just in university and you play on that next level. It's a whole, a whole new level you need to rise to. So I know I was had waves of emotion. I'm like, Ooh, do I belong here? And then you get intimidated playing with those big name players, but I, that also fueled my fire. I was like, this is where I want to be. So definitely a wave of emotions throughout those couple of years, but I went through training camps. I kept fighting and I got invited to play in my first world cup, which was in 2011 with the senior team. Um, we actually did horrible at that tournament. We got dead last, like the old wooden spoon, as they say, um, absolutely terrible. Our team was like at rock bottom, didn't know, if we wanted to continue playing, like it was just, the program was not in a good place. And then we got our new head coach, John Herdman, who I'm sure everybody knows of the motivator, the man that just really took us to a whole new place. And he had about six to eight months to turn a team that was at rock bottom into getting on the podium for those 2012 Olympics. And he really just instilled in us a belief and said, this is your team. We'll take it where we want to go. And he lit all of our fires again, and we were just so motivated. And within eight months, we were from dead last to on a podium winning our first bronze medal. Could you speak to, I mean, there are some coaches listening to you today, Desiree. Could you speak to a couple of things that make him so special or made that time so special? Like, you know, I think lots of coaches wonder how should we motivate? You know, I mean, I grew up in old school times where they motivated so differently than they do now. And some people even wonder, can young athletes be motivated enough to be good enough to win? And, and what do you think were some of the, some of the things that made him different? Yeah, for me, I think John knew how to bring out the best of each individual. He really made you feel like the time was invested in you as an individual to make the team better. And so he, just really instilled that confidence and found out like he was very detail oriented. So every program, every training practice was set in stone to bring out the best in each position. So that our team was then great. Um, so he was just so detail oriented. He is a amazing speaker. Let your arm hairs on your arm, just raise every time he speaks. So you just, he's a coach. You really get excited and motivated to play for. 
Um, and again, he made it our team, which I think is very powerful. He wants a leaderful team is what he would say. Like, how can we bring the best out of each other and raise each other up to make this team better? So those are some key things that I think really helped our success. Was there a moment or sort of a time when you guys started to look at each other and go, okay, we're getting legit. Like this is working. Was it, do you remember sort of getting that feeling like from the rock bottom to feeling like, you know, shoulders are starting to go back and confidence is setting in. Do you remember what that felt like? Yeah, I think it was sort of a steady, a steady rise and climb with John. You know, we were from rock bottom, so it wasn't hard to feel good when, you know, little things were starting to happen and we were starting to get motivated again. And just that build up to the Olympics, all of us just aligning and our plan and our purpose coming together and sort of our arrow all on the same sort of direction was really key. And we all just had one mindset. How can we get on a podium? And it was just so crystal clear. And we were all playing for each other. And like you said, it is a family and a sisterhood. And it's there was no place we wanted to be other than with that team and, and to be the best we could be for each other. Yeah, I think that's where we start talking about relationship over just sort of the skill and the the plays, you know, that a lot of teams can make plays and a lot. And when you get to that level, right, Desiree, everyone's really quite amazing. Like everyone can kick the ball. Everyone can run. Everyone can sort of make moves. But I think it's that bond for sure. Um, uh, what was the moment you qualified the first time? Like like 2012, you knew you were going to the Olympics. Bring us to that moment. Yeah, so we actually had that qualifying tournament in BC Place in British Columbia. Um, we played Mexico in the qualifying match. You know, we have all the all the teams from CONCACAF tournament, the Mexico's, the US's, the Costa Rica's, all from our sort of region and the top two teams qualify for those Olympic games in 2012. And so it was January of that year. We're playing Mexico, um, a very competitive match, but we were surrounded by 50,000 Canadians, a sea of red. And it's so easy to get motivated to play when you have those fans in the stands cheering and supporting you. And yeah, Christine Sinclair, of course, scored a goal, chipped the goalkeeper, like just those moments that you remember. And I just remember the the whole stadium erupting and like just screaming and crying. Like I'm super emotional. People know I like I'll cry on a dime. So my tears were flowing. I just remember being like, we did it. We did it. And yeah, 2012, January, we, we were set to go to our first Olympic games. Incredible. You took Manitoba to the Olympics in 2012. And then uh, we know now, of course, looking back that a bronze medal was, is yours. And you guys won that. What were you expecting? What were your goals for the 2012 Olympics as a team? And maybe you personally. Totally. John, um, you know, instilled our coach at that time instilled in us, like you have to believe in yourselves. What, what task do you want to set ahead? And you obviously started six months out. We're like, where do we want to be at the end of those Olympic games? And we all said, we want to be on the podium. Now we were coming from a place where we got dead last. So like that belief in that was kind of like, mm, we're saying it, but do we believe it? You know? So we were like, yeah, the podium. Cool. And then we had training camp for three months prior. We were in the Swiss Alps together training. Like we had a real concentrated time together where we could just focus in and hone in. And you could just start to see little pieces aligning. And we're like, let's just take this one game at a time, win those matches, and then just grow through the tournament, get better with each and every game. And then we found ourselves in the semifinals, an epic, epic match against the U.S., our biggest rival of all time. Um, we ended up losing that match. But it was like one of the most watched games in, I think, sporting history. Christine Sinclair scores a hat trick. It was just like the ups and downs. It's like Christine Sinclair. And then they would answer. It was 
the craziest game I've ever been in. Like just the rise of emotions, that rivalry, you have a chance to go to the gold match and to lose that was pretty sad. But um, I just remember, yeah, a conversation I had with Sinky after that semifinal and all of us are just completely emotionally drained, physically drained. And she said, take tonight and tomorrow we get back to work. Like we're not leaving here without a medal. And that sticks with me forever. I think had she not said those things, Sinky is a woman of few words, but when she does speak, we all listen and, and it has such power in what she says. So we all took that evening, cried our eyes out. And the next day, like we had three days between that semifinal and the bronze medal match to get our bodies right, our minds right. And yeah, we were playing France in that bronze medal game. And to be fair, I cleared one off the line. They hit three posts. Like it was just, things were not looking like they were going to align. And then Diana Matheson saves the day in the 92nd minute and scores that goal. And again, just like that emotion, I can't even describe it. It was just like a sigh of relief, all of that work and effort that you've put in over the last eight months coming to fruition and just the hard work and looking at your teammates on the field, like just giving absolutely everything. And then to know that you've achieved what you set out to do is just, wow, what a feeling. That's just incredible. And I, I think we, those of us who watched, and I think maybe most of us listening did, because it was like you said, some of the most watched sporting stuff ever. And you guys were just so good. And it was so exciting to watch. And I was so proud as a, as a female, even to be, you know, that so many people were into like a women's soccer. It was just so great. Um, this might be an interesting question, but as you're talking about Christine Sinclair, I think, I think as a coach now, and having been a young athlete, Sometimes we really want to have people like Christine Sinclair on our team. Obviously, no question, a star, right, in the sport. What's it like? What, what was it like to play? What, what is it like to play with her? Uh, and sometimes it's like, hmm, someone's getting all the attention. Sometimes, right? So how did she conduct herself? You seem to, I, when you talk about her, I see you're just glowing and you just love, you, she's got a cool nickname. I love that. I didn't know that. That's really neat. Um, what's that like? Maybe tell us how that works. Why does that work? I think what's great about Christine Sinclair, one, she's a true friend. I've grown to know her over the last 10 years I've been on the team. And I, honestly, she's like an onion. You got to peel the layers back and she doesn't let you in right away. So it took me a good, good few years to break her down, but I'm so lucky to call her a friend and to be able to share the pitch with her. But she is that silent, confident, like captain. She leads by example. You know, she's always going to be on the pitch doing those extras. She's one of the best in the game, leading goal scorer internationally, but you will see her working on striking the ball after every training session, continuing to work on her crafts. She never is satisfied with where she's at. And I find that just so impressive because her accolades are a million pages long, but she just is, wants to be better for the team. And she's like, how can I help? Which I find incredibly amazing. I also love that she is so humble. Christine Sinclair hates when you talk about her. She doesn't like the limelight. She doesn't want to be, you know, in the forefront. And I think we hype her up more than she, she probably enjoys, but I, I love that about her. Someone of her stature and all that she's accomplished, like just guys, it's about the team. Like she's, she's again, team first. And I think that just trickles down to the rest of us. Like we're here for, for more than just ourselves. Yeah. Makes it easy to play with someone like that. Right. And motivates you to just be the best you can be. And I love that when you hear about someone that good and they know why they're that good because they're putting in that time and to put an extra, you know, incredible. So I'm mean, a Desiree after the 2012 Olympics. I mean, you became one of our stars. So you like, I, I'm sure I'm, I, did you feel that? Did you feel that, you know, as you're, as you 
now we're an Olympic bronze medalist. I mean, you started to your role even for all of us watching and for your teammates, maybe the young girls coming in, it changed. What was that like for you after that? Yeah, I remember coming back with that medal and the airport and Winnipeg was just erupted. Like there was hundreds of people there with fans singing, oh, Canada, as I came down the escalator to like that little welcome rug, like it was just beyond words of what I could have imagined. All my family and friends there to support. Um, it was just incredible to see people rally behind our team and the support that we got from afar. Obviously, you're in London, so you don't really feel it until you come home and you realize the impact your team has had on the community at whole, but also, you know, all those future soccer players who are looking and dreaming big, which was just, I love that role. And I love the fact that I can, I can have people look up to me and I, I just try and make sure that I, I represent myself in a positive way and sort of show that with hard work and dedication, anything's possible. So I relish in that role. I love it. Um, and I'll do my part as, as long as I can to, you know, support those future athletes looking up to, to be soccer players one day. Love that so much. Love that you just really have pure joy in this game and, and just being able to do what you can. Now, 2012, you, you win it. You're on the podium. You know, it, you get that welcome home. Why continue? Why keep playing um, and uh, lead us now through? I mean, you, you got to another Olympic Games and looking back, we know the result. But, you know, those next four years, that's a lot of work to get to another one. And and now pressure. So what, what was it like after that? What did you do after 2012? Yeah, I celebrated for a good while after that first medal. There's nothing like your first medal, I must say. Um, just such an incredible thing. Um, and then we knew we were potentially, we were hosting the 2015 World Cup in Canada, which is super rare for a host nation to be able to host that type of tournament in our backyard. So I knew that was around the, around the way. Um, I also knew after 2012 that we were just getting started as a team. Um, so I knew we could get to another Olympics. I knew we could achieve big things. And I wanted to be a part of that. This team is one of the most special teams I've ever been a part of. And it's not something you want to let go of. So I was definitely motivated. I'm like, we got on a podium, we can do it again. So that was really what I wanted to be a part of and stuck with it. And to have a home, a home world cup was something I wanted to be involved in. So that was sort of all the things that fueled my fire from day to day, big tournaments like that is sort of what guides you throughout those years leading up to those. So being a part of a team that's doing so well and, and wanting to do it again was sort of my fuel and motivation. Nice. So entering 2016, the Olympic games, a uh, bit of a different, different approach for you guys. I mean, everyone viewed you differently than they did in 2012 and uh, talk about that Olympic games 2016 and, and sort of that, that amazing end result as well, but maybe also some disappointment uh, in not being in the gold medal match. Totally. Yeah. I think once you've met a podium, you know, people are looking at you now like, okay, how are they going to be able to do it again? I know that was a big thing in the news and the media, like, can they do it again? Um, and we obviously wanted to prove to people that yes, we could, we weren't just, you know, a nation that got lucky that were one-offs and, you know, so we wanted to prove that we could get back on a podium and, and change the color of the medal. Um, so leading into that Olympics, again, we had our young players, our veterans who had, you know, a, a, we had just a unique blend of people who had no Olympic experience and just were fueled up and wanting to just give their all. And then the people who had been at 2012, who had been there before, had that Olympic experience, like kind of guide each other through that tournament. And it was a great, perfect little blend of, of old and new coming together to really be successful. And again, we had had that Olympic experience, but also we knew we wanted to, again, just take it one game at a time, 
top nations, obviously every game is a competitive one and just making sure we tick the boxes as we grew through that tournament and, and got the job done. And mm-hmm. again, sad to not be in that gold medal match. That's what we went there to do. But again, not wanting to leave without a medal. So again, playing the host as well, Rio, the Brazil team in Rio, like what kind of a craziness is that to have that sort of all come together? 60,000 Brazilian fans in the stands and we're playing Brazil for, for a bronze medal. It was just bananas. Um, and the game went our way. Thankfully, you know, we scored our goals. It was a competitive match and I just remember like we would score, but the crowd was dead silent. It was the oddest thing ever because they were obviously all Brazilian. And we were like, did that go in? We weren't sure, but a great match, another medal. And again, just such an amazing accomplishment for our team. Desiree, how do you, uh, you know, how did you approach a game like that? You know, do you have a sort of a mental, you know, a program that you go through? How do you focus? How do you not let the nerves take over? Um, something that important and the pressure was on. How, how do you, how do you personally deal with that? Yeah, I think getting the mental side of the game, right. is so important. And it's something that I've had to evolve over these past 10 years as, as a national team athlete. Um, definitely an important side of the game. Obviously I had like a little protocol and plan in place when I'm on the bus, I listen to certain songs to sort of chill me out. Um, in the locker room, I have a little dance party to shake off the nerves Um, I try and get people to dance with me, but sometimes it's hard. Um, And then, yeah, when I'm going out to the tunnel, I kind of just focus on like on my breathing. Um, I sort of visualize myself making that first big tackle, connecting my passes, just the simple things. My game's very simple. I'm like, do the little things well and the rest will come. And so I take those first five minutes of the match and I make sure I get stuck in and I connect my passes and then I kind of just breathe um, and know that the nerves are part of the game. You know, and having no nerves, it's going to be kind of like, mm, what's wrong? So I think it's just managing those nerves and honing in on those moments. And, and again, looking for your teammates for support throughout that match is, is something that I've sort of helped me through those big moments. Yeah, that's cool. Keeping things simple. I think that's hard to do when it's so much is on the line and it's at such a big event. And But we, we can do that when we're eight playing soccer. We can do that when we're 15 and we can do that when we're at the Olympics. It's really crazy how the game is actually the same. You're still playing soccer, you know, a simple game at the end of the day. Yeah. A ball and two goals and, you know, a 90 minute whistle to whistle. Like it's the same thing, no matter what level. And that's encouraging. I think for young athletes, just keep doing what you're doing and do it the best you can. So now we're well past 2016. And unfortunately, we should have already been hearing another story from you about 2020. Maybe walk us through a little bit of that. um, Well, what it was like sort of leading into when COVID set in. And I mean, we can't almost not talk about it when we talk about sport because it has changed our last year and a bit of sport. So uh, where was that? Where was that fitting for you, Desiree? And, and how did you get through this last year and a bit? And what are you doing now? Yeah, what a hard time for everyone. Uh, <laughs> I remember when COVID first was you know, being talked about and I never thought we would still be here a year and a half later in the situation that we're in. I was kind of like, oh, this will pass like. I'm more of a positive minded person. So I was like sort of glass half full sort of gal. Um, But yeah, we were in a training camp in France at the time. um, And we literally got out a day before things shut down, like flights out were canceled, everything. So like, I just remember being like, oh, what's going on? This is kind of crazy. I get back to Winnipeg and um, yeah, everything just hit the fan. All the borders were shut. Games were canceled. 
And I just remember like there was some whispers through our like group team chats. Like, I think the Olympics is going to get postponed. And we were just like, no, that's not possible. And as athletes, you kind of train with the big event in mind. So the fact that that was kind of looming in our minds was like, is it going to get canceled? It was kind of crazy. And then we get the official text that they've been postponed and, um, shock was the first emotion we were like no this can't be real but then like it was coming from the canadian olympic committee i think we got to trust that information and um i just remember yeah we have our our team group chat and we were like holy this is crazy what's next for us just that big question mark and unknown of like what's going to happen now and um we didn't end up meeting each other again for a year's time our national team so i was in winnipeg for eight months, just training on my own in my basement. Obviously things went to a lockdown situation, code red everywhere. Everyone had to experience that, but athletes especially were hit hard in the sense that our world was turned upside down. We're not with our teams anymore. We're having to find new ways to adapt and train and still be ready because we didn't know when they were going to happen. So we wanted to still work hard and show up. And um, yeah, it was a hard, hard year. And I know I had, um, with my club team, we had a, you know, a bubble situation where we were going to host a tournament um, in Utah at the time. Um, and I had some family stuff that ended up hitting the fan for me as well. So I had to miss that tournament, fly home on the next flight out. Like it was just a culmination of things that just kept hitting me and hitting me and hitting me. And 2020 was probably the hardest year I've ever had. Um, sport wise, family wise, um, just everything just sucked that year, to be honest. Um, and to try and motivate yourself for the what ifs and the unknowns, I think was what was really a challenge and, and doing that on my own again in my basement, you know, Winnipeg winters aren't conducive to getting outside and kicking a soccer ball around. So it was just trying, finding ways to, to motivate, to recognize that some days not doing anything was okay as well. Um, and really just working through it day by day is how I took it. And here we are in 2021 with an Olympics potentially happening this summer. So it's fingers crossed it all goes well, but yeah, what a wild year for us athletes. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's good to hear that, you know, you just sort of took every day at a time. And I think it's important too. like, if one day it just didn't happen. Okay. Then tomorrow let's reset and, and keep going and keep trying. And, and, um, you know, are, are there, do you have some rumblings? Do you feel like the games will happen? I know no international spectators that's already been, but we can all watch you from home and we will be, and we know you'll feel that once you go, but, uh, but you said you're feeling hopeful. I, I think so. I, I feel like, you know, um, I, I think it was a wake up call for all of us though. We're going, okay, everything could get canceled, but they'll never postpone the Olympics. Like it's the Olympics, but to know that that made the pandemic pretty real. I think, you know, that even for, you know, youth athletes, I think, wow, even our Olympians are sitting at home, not even allowed to compete. So pretty incredible. But are, are you really hopeful? Like, have you heard some things like you figure things, plans are in place or what does it look like? Yeah, for us, like all systems go, we're prepping for, for Tokyo 2021, as they call it now. Um, we're training and preparing as if they're on from what we've heard. Everything's a go train like you're going to be there and prep to get ready for those games. So as far as we know, it's been positive and, and they're going ahead. Awesome. So um, goal for 2021 and challenges, do you think that will, you know, what will spur you on to, to reach that goal? Totally. Um, having those two bronze medals, as you know, um, a huge, 
huge feat for us. But again, we talk about changing the color of the metal. And that's been our theme from when we first had our first training camp in January. It's how do we change the color of the metal? Bronze is great, but we're going for gold in this Tokyo Olympics. And, and what a unique time to, to try and achieve that when we are had a year apart, hadn't been training together. We're now all in different parts of the world with COVID restrictions and having to work within that and trying, we have less time on the grass together. So it's like, we've set out this huge goal, but how do we achieve it being in all different places and having less time as a team in a unit? Um, so really we're, we're honing in on our Zoom meetings. We're connecting in ways that are unique and people have gotten used to during this pandemic. Um, and then just really taking our professional environments and building those into how we can be our best selves come Tokyo 2021 in our own individual ways. So the challenges come with that is we all have to kind of do things separately. And then when we do get the time, making those days count because we don't have a ton of time together to prep for these Olympics. Yeah, cool. Well, we are so excited for you guys to get there, to get to 2021 and and uh, just give it your all. I've got a couple of questions just in terms of playing soccer, maybe for the young athletes listening. We were talking about, being more than an athlete. I mean, and you've talked about how, you know, uh, you were okay with staying in Manitoba. You wanted to get that education. You've taught, you've sort of mentioned that through our conversation. You haven't just talked about all the drills you did and all the, and we know those were in place. I mean, no one's saying you don't have to do those, but, um, in, in playing soccer, when I watch soccer and as a female athlete, I think you've got to be some of the toughest girls play soccer. I mean, there is contact, even when they, I guess it's sort of a non, but let's be honest, you got to be tough to play soccer. My question for you is how tough do you need to be to play at the highest level? And how do you balance being human and still striving for near perfection, right? Like so long in sport, we've been trying to take the human out of it because that's not tough enough. And yet I think we're all starting to believe if really all of Desiree Scott is out on the field, look out. You know, how do you balance that? How do you stay like such a nice person and then go out there and take on the world? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, I have the nickname, the destroyer and people see me <laughs> on the field, like just making tackles, body on the line, being physical and they get off and they're like, whoa, who is this person? Like I'm completely different than who I am on the pitch. And the, you, they see that human side who's soft and just loves love and is so like emotional and like not hard. So it's like, kind of crazy to see those two different worlds come together in sport. Um, but I think it is important to learn more than, than who we are just as athletes, because, and, and as an athlete, recognizing that finding out who you are outside of the pitch, I think is so important. And I've sort of, you learn those things over the years of who you are, who you want to be. Sport is a huge part of my life and will be forever, but it's not going to be there forever. So I've got to learn, you know, what things do I enjoy off the pitch who do I want to be? I've got to be a great person, you know, outside of things. What, how do I want to impact the sport and impact my community? So I'm always thinking of those things, like how can I be the best me on field, but also developing who I want to be as a person and, and who I want people to see me as off the pitch as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel from you that your, your willingness to be, to say, you know what, I'll show emotion. I'll cry I'll, all those things. And yet, so then when you get on the field, you're willing to let it all like you can see it all you guys. Cause this is, you know, this is a part of me too. I just, I love that. I just think I wouldn't want to play against you. Ha, I'm glad you're on our team. Um, <laughs> now Desiree, you're so busy playing and competing for our country and, you know, letting us all cheer for you and all your training and everything. And yet you've decided now to be connected with pro prep, you know, um, 
And why, why did you decide to be connected with pro prep? And, and maybe is it something you wish you had growing up or what's motivated you to still take the time and to sort of invest in pro prep? Yeah. Again, I think what a, the opportunity came to me at a time that was just perfect. I think the other co-founders, DJ Lama, Andrew Harris, two big, amazing Winnipeg local athletes who have done amazing in their sport came to me. We had lunch one day and we just, they sparked, sparked the conversation of like, how can we make Winnipeg better for the athletes that are, that are coming through the system, not just in soccer, but in football and, and future sports that we look to have and just their passion for the game and wanting to make our community better, make the athletes and the human side of that athlete better as well. It was just like all of our sort of perspectives aligned. And I'm obviously passionate in giving back to the to the local community and especially Winnipeg and helping athletes be better. Um, it was just sort of a perfect fit for me. Obviously, I had also like retirement is looming around my brain. I'm 30, 34 years old this summer. So, um, you know, the timing of thinking what's next after my career was also on the back of my mind. And pro prep was just a perfect fit. You know, it is something that I would have loved to have had as an athlete, you know, all the best of the best that are in the province, you know, under one roof, wanting to make you the best athlete in person possible. I mean, what athlete wouldn't want that? So to be involved, to help sort of lay my hand on the soccer landscape in Winnipeg is a no brainer. And to do it amongst like-minded people is just, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity. So. Awesome. What a great way to find the next Desiree Scott in Manitoba. Right. (laughs) Yes. Now, speaking of pro prep, Desiree, we had, um, we put out the, the ask, Hey, we're going to be talking with Desiree Scott. Do you have any questions for her? We've got some great questions. We've got three questions for you and I'm, I'm going to get right, right into it. Uh, someone wants to know, actually, we all want to know who is your favorite soccer player to watch excluding your teammates. So outside of the Canadian women's team, who do you love watching? All right. Great question. So I'm going to go with Nagola Conte. He is a holding midfielder, um, sort of shorter in stature, very aggressive, great on the ball. Um, yeah, I would go with him just because I, I kind of see traits of himself in me and he's just a fantastic player in the attack. And I want to sort of emulate my game from him. So someone I love to watch. Question number two, what is your favorite self-care activity off the pitch? Off the pitch, I love to pamper myself because I don't usually get the time to do so. So I love to like get my nails done and get a manicure and pedicure. I find it super soothing for the soul. And then you're, you feel like, you know, pretty afterwards, look good, feel good, play good. I'm big on that mindset. Love it. How would you define perseverance and what does it mean to you? Good question. That is a good question. Um, Perseverance for me is sort of going after your goals and dreams, despite the obstacles and the difficulties that you'll face, you know, every day provides a new challenge, but it's how you rise to those occasions and keep pushing through to sort of achieve your goals and be, and be better each day that comes at it. So it's about still tackling those challenges, knowing that they're going to come, but then it's just how you respond to those challenges and continuing to push, knowing that, you know, your dreams are worth, are worth the fight. Awesome. Desiree, this has been a huge honor for me to be able to sit and chat with you. But what I like maybe the best is that, you know, you you go into a conversation with someone who is an Olympic medalist and who's done big things internationally, one of the best in the world at what you've decided to do. And yet 
I feel like we just chatted with one of our best friends for the last hour or so. And I think that's a great quality. I think that encourages all of us that we can be our very best. And man, we're so excited to watch you play in the summer of 2021 in Tokyo. And I don't know if you have a message for, you know, the people listening um, as we sign off and, and say farewell. What a great conversation we've had. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me and learn a little bit more about my story. One, I just want to say hope, thankful for all the fans that have supported my career thus far, all the coaches and friends and family who have supported the journey. You know, that why I play is so that I can come back to Winnipeg and, and show that, you know, the hard work is, is paying off. So continue to support. Make sure you watch this summer. It goes a long way. And yeah, for all the young athletes out there, I think just remember to love what you're doing the hard work pays off and just remember to, to be your biggest cheerleader. I think, you know, there's going to be people who can tell you that you're not going to be able to do what you want to do, but if you believe in yourself and trust in your abilities and just be you every day, nobody else can do that. So just go out there and enjoy the game and, and love what you're doing. Desiree Scott, how fortunate are we that you are Manitoba and that you carry us with you and, and that you're giving back right here in our province. Uh, on behalf of ProCrap and Heroes in Our Midst, we've enjoyed this so much. And thanks for, for sharing your wisdom and just your passion for life in the game with us. We've loved it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it.